Hear the word of God from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version and can be found on page 823 in the Pew Bible. Today we will tell the story through word and image. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling to you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer, please? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. I got my first pair of glasses when I was in fourth grade. At first, my mom didn't want to take me to the doctor because she thought I just wanted to get glasses like my friend who had just ordered her own glasses. But when I had to be moved to the very front of the, the um, room so that I could see the board, she finally relented. And then she apologized after the doctor told us that all I could see was the big E at the top. Well, the day came when both Teresa and I had our new glasses and we met together at school and we found out that we had independently selected the exact same frame. You know, the light brown tortoise shell cat eye shaped frame that was so popular in, well, I'll let you guess which decade. Now, because I'd lost so much of my ability to see though so quickly, I began to be a little afraid about, like, would my eyes last? Would I go blind because I lost my eyesight so much? And so listening to this story about Bartimaeus used to be a little creepy for me because I had to think about the idea of being blind and what it would be like. Of course, at nine years old, living with my mom and dad, it, I, it probably wouldn't have been nearly as scary as being an adult man living in first century Israel. Because when he went blind, he wasn't able to go and make uh, offerings at the temple and make sacrifices at the temple anymore. He wasn't able to continue his work. He begged at the city gate to get what he received. And no one was allowed to touch him because people thought they were spiritually unclean. At one time, he had to have had his sight because he tells Jesus he would like to see again. And then that brings up all other kinds of questions. Was he a boy when he lost his sight? What, what happened? Was it an accident? Was it disease? Did he have a family? Where were they? Who took care of him? Who made sure that he didn't stumble and hurt himself? 
Did anybody give him a place to sleep at night or food to eat when the alms that he gathered weren't enough? As we think about it, we can see what a tremendous loss that this would have been to lose his sight and suddenly be unable to take care of himself or others the way that he might have before. As we meet him here, it's at the end of a section of Mark, a whole section of Mark, that is bookended by the healing of two blind men. And in between has many stories of spiritual blindness, many of them due to the disciples. The healing at the beginning of the whole section happens kind of as a process And a crowd brings the person to Jesus, and Jesus takes the person off to a private place and puts saliva on his eyes and touches them. And the sight isn't quite clear yet, so Jesus touches them again, and he has his sight. For Bartimaeus, all it took was Jesus' words. And even though we say that Bartimaeus is the only person that's healed that's named in the book of Mark, he's still not actually named. All we know is that he is the son of Timaeus. We don't know what his own name is. With these healings, though, particularly this one with Bartimaeus, it gives us an opportunity to help us find ways to gain or regain our sight. Irony abounds in this passage. Unlike all the sighted people that were around him, this blind Bartimaeus was the only one who understood Jesus' identity and called to him as son of David, which was a messianic title. This title not only recalls King David of Old Testament fame, but it also points forward to the very next passage, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday. Begging by the road, begging by the road, Bartimaeus would have had his cloak likely laid over his legs so people could drop things in the cloak and then he could find them afterward. But that cloak was likely the most cherished possession he had because it did other things for him. It was something to lay on when he slept, to wrap up in when it was cold, to carry things that he couldn't carry on his own, to hold the alms that he asked for. When his first cries go unanswered, the crowd tries to silence him. In all the other healing stories, it's Jesus that's silencing the person who has just been healed. But this crowd, they were part of the inner circle. They didn't want this outsider to join them. Apparently now, too, Jesus' healings were no longer a secret. When Bartimaeus boldly cries out again, Jesus stops and he says, tell him to come. And the crowd calls him forward. The blind one, The one who was least able to follow Jesus is the one that Jesus calls to himself. And as the shushing of the crowd turns into encouragement to go forward because Jesus called him, 
we can imagine the crowd standing on either side, kind of guiding him to where Jesus was. The crowd having to accept that in following Jesus, that they had to also be able to accept all the other people that followed Jesus too, even if they didn't look like them. Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question he asked James and John in the passage that McGray preached on last week. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus' answer couldn't have been more different. The blind man revealed his faith in Jesus' identity as son of David when he cried out for mercy. He revealed that he, that he understood Jesus' authority as he called him my teacher. And he was willing to follow Jesus on the way, even though Jesus' instruction to him was, Go, your faith has made you well. His life was turned upside down because he had received his sight. Receiving physically the sight that he already had spiritually. And he would, no doubt, continue to live that upside-down life as he followed Jesus on the way. All this in contrast to what James and John asked for. They wanted to have the places of honor to sit on either side of Jesus in his kingdom. The other ten disciples were angry with them. I'm thinking probably because they didn't think of it first. Bartimaeus showed himself to be so much more of a disciple than the disciples who had followed Jesus his entire earthly ministry. Now, references to blindness show up in the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, while, yes, a man was prohibited from making sacrifices at the temple, there was also compassion because it also said, do not put a stumbling block in the path of the blind, assuring that their infirmity would not be used against them in some way. By the, way, by the time we reach the New Testament, though, that physical blindness is often paired with this dual spiritual blindness. And some of those references uh, even refer, are referred to in Isaiah. Isaiah talked of healing the blind as being one of the marks of the Messiah. So for Jesus to heal this man, for him to have healed the other man, said something about him that went far beyond simply his earthly identity. The passage is a miracle story, and it is also a call to discipleship, the kind of discipleship that allows us to live the upside-down life to which we're called. This is the kind of life where there are particular ways of being to help us know Jesus rather than leaving us with no, as in N-O, Jesus. The three words for those ways, which you may want to write down, are to prepare, persist, and practice. We see them right here in the text. Bartimaeus showed a measure of preparedness because he was ready to cry out for mercy the second that he knew that Jesus of Nazareth had passed by. And for all we know, he may very well have purposely placed himself where he knew Jesus would pass. We too, then, are to prepare. We're to prepare to receive the presence of God in Jesus as we experience through the 
Holy Spirit. The first step to living the life of faith is preparing. When we prepare and stay prepared in the faith, we're able to handle the storms and challenges of life differently from real storms like hurricanes to the vagaries of illness to even death. We have a different understanding because we know Christ. We know who God is. When we're learning and preparing, we can use the spiritual practices. In fact, there are seven spiritual practices in the Disciples' Path that we teach here in the new member class, and it's for a purpose. They are practices that have been in use for more than two millennia as, for, as Christians and used even before that in Judaism. So if you haven't looked at your book recently, maybe it's time for a refresher. And if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, consider whether maybe you might attend the next new member class. You don't have to be ready to join to go to the class to learn more. Or you can pick up the book in the coffee shop and read it for yourself. We prepare by using those practices that we do together, like being in worship and being in a small group and serving together. And the things that we do individually more often, like reading the Bible and praying, inviting people, and giving. All these help us learn to recognize God's presence, to learn to hear God's voice. Bartimaeus also showed us the value of being a person who will persist. He didn't stop calling for Jesus after the first try, and I'm convinced that if Jesus hadn't responded after the second try, that he would have found some way to get to Jesus. Dr. Carol Dweck, a leading researcher in motivation, discovered the power of the words not yet to motivate, motivate people to persist. She had heard about a high school in Chicago where instead of telling someone that giving someone a failing grade when they couldn't pass a course that they needed to graduate, they gave them a grade of not yet. She did further research on it because it was fascinating to her that they had decided to do this and found that that allowed people to reframe their experience so that instead of feeling like the learning curve had been cut off, that they felt like, oh, well, I just am not yet to the place I need to be on the learning curve. And you know what? That applies for us, too, as Christians. We have to remember that our growth in our faith can happen in fits and starts, as I call it. They, we can move forward and then take a few steps back and then move forward again and go back even further than we were before. The important thing is that we continue to persist. We may not remember to read the Bible every day when we first purpose to do that. But if we persist in starting again every time we realize it, well, then like any other person who practices, we'll continue to get better. Besides, even perfection is not what saves us. It is our relationship in Jesus Christ. Bartimaeus, after he was made well by Jesus, followed him on the way, on the way to Jerusalem, which, of course, was where he went to the cross. 
This phrase, following on the way, was specific in the Old Testament, meaning for students that were following a rabbi. They would follow them on the way that the rabbi took. They would follow them wherever they went, talk, see whatever people they talked to, participate in whatever practices they did. They would basically practice being a rabbi by following the rabbi. And to practice is more than just to be present. It's to engage with those around us, with God. We cannot live the upside-down life of faith without practicing the faith. And like all who practice faithfully, we will grow. In her TED Talk, The Dangers of Willful Blindness, Margaret Heffernan shared this story about Gayla Benefield, who lived in Libby, Montana, which is up in the far northwest of the United States. Gayla had lived in this beautiful setting most of her life. She felt a little out of place sometimes, though, like when she was in school and she was the only girl that wanted to do all of the technical things, the science-based things. It was during her job as an adult, though, that she began to notice things that just didn't add up for her. She was a utility reader, meter reader. And so she would knock on people's doors to let them know that she was going to read the meter. And she noticed over time that there were an awful lot of middle-aged men who were home ill with things that required them to have oxygen all the time. And then her dad, who had been a minor, he died at only 59 years old. And when her mom was in the hospital before she died, she'd broken her leg. They did a couple x-rays on her leg, but they did a half a dozen x-rays on her chest, and there wasn't anything that was going on in her chest, or so she thought. She thought about the fact that there was a vermiculite mine in the town, but it was used for all sort of things, to condition the soil, to help make houses and the roofs in houses um, more uh, heat, hold heat better. It was used on football fields and skating rinks and on the playground. But what she didn't know was that at that particular mine, it was contaminated with a particularly toxic form of asbestos. Well, even though she didn't know it, she continued to talk about the things that she noticed that just didn't add up. Pretty soon, her friends were over it. But one day, a researcher came to town, and she talked to him about it, and he did some more research, and he agreed with her. When, the federal, when a federal agency finally came to investigate, they found that the mortality rate was 80 times what the mortality rate was for the rest of the United States. All along the way, whenever Gayla would talk about it, people just didn't seem to want to know that something might be going on. And even then, in 2002, nobody still wanted to know. As Margaret related in her talk, it wasn't ignorance, it was willful blindness. From Libby, Montana, to the banking crisis, to issues with child abuse and the Me Too movement, people are afraid to raise questions, and willful blindness continues to be a human problem. Gayla wouldn't let it stop her, though. She helped open a clinic for those who were suffering with the symptoms from asbestos poisoning. And though as she, as, excuse me, and due to her 
actions, eventually the Environmental Protection Agency came to their town and helped begin to clean it up. Willful blindness affects everybody at some point or another, and it can even affect us as Christians. Oh, not that we're ignoring that there are things that are issues out in the world, but sometimes we forget to look at ourselves and how we are following Jesus on the way to become the people that we are called to become, to be those who are faithful. We become willfully blind to the ways that we're not. It is a human problem that God alone can heal, just as Jesus alone could heal the eyes of Bartimaeus. And like Bartimaeus, we need to cooperate with God as we prepare for and persist in and practice our faith. This week, I'd like for you to do something for me. I'd like you to plan to pray five minutes every day. And if you have trouble remembering a new pattern, if this is a new pattern for you, I have trouble with those things. Put a sticky note on your mirror where you're going to see it when you brush your teeth in the morning or put on makeup or shave or whatever you do. But what I'd like you to do in that time is to consider carefully this question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Sometimes we shy away from telling God the very deepest desires of our hearts. We shy away because we're afraid that perhaps he might do what he says. And we're perhaps even more afraid that nothing will happen. But we don't know until we do. What do you want me to do for you, he asks. Are you prepared to answer Jesus' question? Are you ready to persist in seeking Jesus' healing for your own blindness? Are you ready to practice your faith following Jesus on the way, to let Jesus be your guide to the upside-down life, preparing for the upside-down kingdom? Pray about these questions every day this week. Follow where you feel that God is asking you to go. For every one of us can live this upside-down life, be healed of our blindness, and be set free to follow Jesus on the way. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, holy God. We are grateful that you have told us about Bartimaeus, that we could see the example of a disciple, a disciple who was able to see though he had no eyes, able to proclaim though he had no experience, able to follow though he had been an outsider. Lord, give us that for ourselves. Show us the way to set aside the ways that we can be spiritually blind and maybe even willfully blind so that we can be those who are preparing for and persisting in and practicing our faith in ways that not only impact our own lives but have 
impact on everybody else around us who can look and see how our lives have been changed and call you blessed. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen.